So reading from Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So we're going to consider um, not so much the birds and the fish. We're glossing over that still. Um, But we're going to consider uh, some of the words out of Psalm 8. Um, But first, I want to read you from uh, another of my influential books, um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think that digital watches are a pretty neat idea. This planet has, or had, rather a problem, which was this. Most of the people living on it were unhappy for pretty much all of the time. Many solutions were suggested for this problem, but most of these were largely concerned with the movement of small green pieces of paper, which is odd, because on the whole it wasn't the small green pieces of paper that were unhappy. And so the problem remained, and lots of the people were mean, and most of them were miserable, and even the ones with digital watches. Many were increasingly of the opinion that they'd all made a big mistake coming down from the trees in the first place. Some suggested that even the trees had been a bad move, and that no one should ever have left the oceans. Then one Thursday, nearly 2,000 years after a man had been nailed for a tree, for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change, A girl sitting on her own in a small cafe in Rickmansworth, England, suddenly realised what it was that had been going wrong all this time, and she finally knew how the world could be made a good and happy place. This time it was right, it would work, and no one would have to get nailed to anything. Sadly, however, before she could telephone anyone to to tell anyone about it, a terribly stupid catastrophe occurred, and the idea was lost forever. That is... um, Douglas Adams, a, a famous um, atheist, although um, I'm not sure he's as much as an atheist as he um, made out. Um, but it kind of expresses, in, in a humorous way, um, the worldview of our significance in the whole scheme of things, doesn't it? Um, the kind of the idea that, um, that it's, really, it's really not about us, and it's definitely not about our planet, um, and, and that we're just part of the big machine. And I'm going to speak a little bit about that, but before I get into that stuff, I'm going to talk a little bit about the awesomeness of God, because that's where it starts, isn't it? That's where this, that's where this text starts, that's where we need to start. So God, how majestic you are. You set your glory in the heavens. So as he created the heavens, it was showing his glory. As he put the stars in place, it was spelling out God's glory. And we see that, don't we? We've had some great summer evenings. And we were at Ashburnham a few weeks ago. And it was clear and we were in the country. And the, kind of, the heavens were, were very obvious to us. And they spell out the majesty of God. The works of his fingers. It is really about this amazing God. But as we progress through this psalm, it says, 
What is man that you are mindful of him? And what about the son of man? So is it talking about us? Well, I think yes. It's talking about mankind. It's talking about God's view of, of us as people. His view of us actually as individuals. Um, we're not as insignificant as perhaps Douglas Adams uh, thought. So he's talking about us. And when we consider our status in this whole business, um, that's when we go back to Genesis and we see what God's intention was for us. You know, they kind of talk about stewardship, don't they? Being given the earth to kind of subdue and, and, and be part of. But actually, that was God's intention and God's plan that we should be to rule on the earth, to rule over um, in the earth and on the earth. In Genesis, uh, Genesis 1, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild, creature, uh, the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God makes mankind, makes people as part of this, as a significant part of his creation. And yes, we are given this role of looking after the earth. Um, but not because we're a small part of the machine, but a small part that's made a lot of mess. Not, not, not in those kind of, um, perhaps so much in those kind of environmental reasons, although that is as good a reason as any, as any to, um, to kind of correct some of the things we've done wrong. But because God's commissioned us to be part of this creation. He has, he has made us for relationship with him and for relationship with creation. Of course, we know that we are fallen, and uh, we didn't get that far with Genesis, otherwise we'd read the whole of Genesis, wouldn't we? Um, we didn't get that far with, with Genesis, but we are fallen by nature, or fallen by our sin. And that had an effect on creation, too. Uh, Romans 8, uh, Romans 8, 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that, be, that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of uh, the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. So all of, those, all of that stuff about the world, all of that stuff of the earth and the, uh, the problem of sin uh, is a problem in, in the earth as well. And the earth is waiting and, and yearning for Jesus to come and make things right. And of course Jesus has come and made things right at the cross, but there is the time where Jesus will make things right in creation as well. And that is a great and glorious thing to look forward to. So there'll be a time when the earth will also reflect more fully that, that, uh, that glory of God, and the sin issue will be dealt with. Now in this um, discussion about the Son of Man, who, who is the Son of Man that you are mindful of him? 
There's some discussion when you read the commentaries. Uh, some people love to say everything's about Jesus because we know that the Son of Man is a term used for Jesus. And, um, there's, you know, there's a, great, uh, there's a great kind of theological backwards and forwards. Well, is it about Jesus? Well, isn't it? And, uh, and to be honest, in my first reading, I thought it, it was. Uh, and then when I read it again, I was like, oh, no, he's talking about us. Um, because Jesus was one of those, became one of those who was created, didn't he? He became part of humanity. So actually, it's a bit of a kind of both yes situation. Um, God is talking about us as, as mankind, as, as the sons of man, but he's also kind of talking about Jesus a little bit as well. You know, David was very much a type for Jesus, King David, the king of the Jews. You can see uh, kind of prophetically how David's life uh, mirrors and, and, and kind of foreshadows what Jesus was going to do. So in many ways, it is a both yes. It is talking about us. It is talking about God's consideration of us, that God is mindful of us, that God has created us, that God has created us and put us in this place a little lower than the angels. But also Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a time. And that is, um, that is reflected again because this psalm is picked up um, in Hebrews. Uh, Jesus is, is, uh, has chosen to come in to that, to be part of this created order. And of course, Jesus is doing that. He, had, he became man. He became one of us. He bears with us in, um, in what we're doing. I've just got to find this bit. Hang on. It makes good sense that the God who got everything started and keeps everything going now completes the, working, completes the work by making the salvation pioneer perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory. Since the one who saves and those who are saved have a common origin, Jesus didn't, doesn't hesitate to treat them as family, saying, I tell my good friends, my brothers and sisters, all that I know about you, I'll join them in worship and praise to you. So Jesus joins us in, in what he's doing. Um, this is what it, it says kind of earlier on. God didn't put angels in charge of the business of salvation that we're dealing with here. It says in scripture, what is man and woman that you bother with them? Why take a second look their way? You made them not quite as high as angels, bright with Eden's dawn light. Then you put them in charge of your entire handcrafted world. When God put them in charge of everything, nothing was excluded. But we don't see it yet. Not everything under human jurisdiction. What we do see is Jesus made not quite as high as the angels. And then through the experience of death, crowned so much higher than any angels, with a glory bright with Eden's dawn light. In that death, by God's grace, he fully experienced death in every person's place. So Jesus is in this position, in this position as uh, being like us, created, but with this amazing status. And this is what I wanted to emphasise tonight, because you are awesome. You are amazing. You are created with an amazing purpose. And 
Jesus has made us able to live out that purpose. Jesus has made us able to deal with the problem that causes us not to be able to live the way God intended. Jesus, by doing that for us, by dying, by being the salvation pioneer, has become the one who can lead us in this. So not only have we a great commission to rule and to reign, uh, which sounds a bit worrying um, and not very British, um, although let's, let's be frank, uh, the British did think they had a right to rule and reign for quite a long time. So, you know, maybe, maybe our cultural background is a bit more mixed up than we thought. Um, but certainly by character, we tend to step back. But that's interesting because God has made us quite amazing and commissioned us and given us all this power and authority. And yes, we stuffed it up. And then Jesus has made a way where we can regain the status and the the awesomeness which he's called us to. Um, and when I look at my life, I think, my goodness, well, I know what I've read um, and I know what I've studied and I know what God's saying through that. And then I look at my life and I think, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I'm not great at that, am I? But it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about building up our own faith because this is what God's called us to. So how can we apply this? Well, there's several things that we can do. Um, and the first I've spoken about already. I'm very enthusiastic about establishing a stronghold of praise. The stronghold of praise. How about the stronghold of praise at Brighton Road? The place where we praise God and we find our identity in God and we find our security, and we find our confidence and our ability. You know, we've had some knocks, haven't we? Um, and, and definitely, there's, there's a, kind of, a kind of lack of confidence that, um, that we've, we've kind of developed. And, and, and I have. I should be more confident than this. Um, but sometimes I get knocked back. Uh, you know, I've had some real difficulties with work. Um, and it just, it, it, it just hammers you, doesn't it? And you don't quite feel you're, you're the person you should be. And then uh, when, you, when, that, when that pressure's taken away, suddenly your confidence is built up. When, you, when someone, actually, when you receive a little bit of encouragement or, or a little bit of a word from God, and you're like, oh, oh, you know? And this is who we are. We are called to, uh, to be an awesome part of what God has made and what God's intentions are, uh, not only for future glory, but right here and right now. So let's establish uh, a stronghold of praise. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold for your enemies, against your enemies, rather. And I have no idea what version of the Bible that is, but it's definitely one of them, um, and I can find out and tell you later. Is it in the NIV? So we're created for purpose. What are you that he is mindful of you? Well, you're his creation. You're his son or daughter. That is what you are. Um, it talks about us in, in Genesis and again in this psalm. You know, I heard a story um, from here somewhere, and I can't remember the context of it. Someone will tell me. Um, you know, of someone saying, well, I've got all these things, but I don't really want to bother God with them. I've got all these problems and all these issues. 
But, you know, God's got a lot, a lot to do. <laughs> a lot of more important people to worry about. Um, and wasn't that sad? We, I can't remember where I heard about it. It was just like, oh, where's the, you know, where's the confidence? Actually, God's relationship with us is he is bothered by our stuff. He is bothered by our details, our own insecurities, even if they seem crazy, and also the big stuff, you know, the kind of life and death and illness and all those struggles that people have. So we're created for purpose, and God is mindful of us. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear and death. Just another translation of the same bit out of Hebrews. You know, Jesus has created a way for us to resist evil, a stronghold, a place where we can be, and it is in Christ where we can be free, where we can have liberty, where we are not subject to fear or to death. And yes, further, what other application can we have? Well, let's be good stewards. I'm, I'm quite a fan of being a good steward. Um, I, it's a good idea. Um, uh, looking after creation is... is um, it's kind of okay, you can tell it's not really my thing, but I'm very happy with the people who it is their thing, okay? But I'm very, very interested in looking after our community. Oh, yes, that's my thing. Um, I'm very interested in being good stewards here in this town, being the people who are, who are able to be awesome, to rule, to lead. And there is nothing stopping us because we've been given the tools and the ability to do that. And yes, we stuffed it up, but Jesus has made a way to, uh, to be the people who lead, the people who reign over the earth, the people who express and show God's love in this town and in this place. And let's do that. Let's do what we're called to. And a little bit later on in Hebrews, just after chapter, um, I think it's, Chapter 2, I'm terrible with references, sorry. You'll have to, you know, I could go through them all afterwards. Um, just it goes over into the next chapter um, and it gives a little kind of prescription. It's one of those where it's a therefore, but the chapter starts with a therefore. And of course, if the chapter starts with a therefore, then we have to go kind of back and read the first bit and then the therefore makes sense. So the first bit is the salvation pioneer stuff and then it comes to this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built on someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. 
So how do we do all this? How do we become awesome? How do we steward well? How do we uh, establish a stronghold? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. So let's do that. Amen.